Well, we are just about smack dab in the middle of our fall series here at Scottsdale Bible Church called Grace and Your Neighbor. Grace and Your Neighbor. It's been a great year as we've looked at grace from a lot of different angles, from the angle of God, the angle of family, the angle of church, and really we're now saving kind of the best for last, or at least the most important for last, as it comes to our daily lives, and that's grace and your neighbor. In other words, how does grace affect those around us who don't know Christ on a daily basis. I mean, it's one thing for grace to affect us. It's one thing for grace to affect the church. But if you look closely at the life of Jesus, grace was designed to affect Matthew the tax collector, the woman at the well, the woman caught in in adultery, Zacchaeus up a tree, Peter when he's denying Christ. Grace was designed to be the kind of thing that affects all of us on a daily level, and you and I are carriers of his grace. And so we've looked at the story of the Good Samaritan a few weeks ago on how kindness and care should be shown to our neighbors. We looked at service. Daryl helped us with that and how our gifts and our passions are now designed to help other people. And last week, if you're with us, you know that we started a two-parter on how to share our faith with those around us, how to give them grace in the sense of verbally talking to them about the source of joy and hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And so we talked about intentionality last week. Remember that? Just to walk across the room. That is, you and I have the guts to walk across the room and engage another person uh, that we love with the news of Jesus Christ that God very well will use that. And today we're following up on that, and we're going to talk about clarity. In other words, that when you and I give directions to another on how to find God in their life in and through His Son Christ, are we being clear? Or are we muddling the message, uh, muddying up the message a little bit? And so to get you thinking about this, I want you to look up here on the screen right now. We put together a little video to kind of get you thinking about this idea of giving directions to other, others and the clarity that we might or might not have. So look up here on the screen, and then I'm going to pray, and we're going to dive right in. Excuse me, can you help me? Oh, sure. I'm new around here and I'm lost. Oh, which way are you headed? Um, I'm trying to find Scottsdale Fashion Square. Just go down Scottsdale Road. Well, unless you want to go to Paradise Valley Mall, which is up on Cactus. Paradise Valley Mall? Uh, yeah, but they don't have a Johnny Rockets over there. Yeah, you better go to fa- uh, Fashion Square. Head on Scottsdale Road and go south. So I turn left on Scottsdale Road? You go back to the street here, and then you turn left, and you go past the Ganey Ranch area, you know, where the, where the payway is. Oh, I love that payway. You ever try that Kung Pao chicken? Heh, <laughs> that's great. But there's a better one at, at where I live in Fountain Hills. Fountain Hills? Yeah, Fountain Hills. Just get on Shea, and it'll take you right there. Wait, wait are you sure? Well, sure, I'm sure, unless you want to take the freeway. Then you get on the 101, down Shea, but wait a minute, it's too close to rush hour, That's, that wouldn't be a good idea. You better get back on Scottsdale Road and head south. You know what? Thanks, I, I think I can find it on my own. Are you sure? You know, it's really easy to get there from here. No, uh, I think it is too hard to find. All right, you get the point, right? Let's pray. Father. 
We uh, all have experienced times where there are easy directions to give or easy directions to get, and we don't get it or we don't give it. And so as we attach this to our Christian faith and communicating the gospel to those around us today, God, would you do something very simple but profound among us? Would you help us each today here to get very clearly how we can share the core of the gospel with those around us, so much so that they might be able to explain it back to us if asked. Uh, God, I pray that you might help us to understand the core of what you have done for us in Christ that has changed our lives and how we can communicate that today to others. If you do that, we'll give all glory and honor to you, and we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. And so here is the simple yet profound reality on one of the main purposes of our life in Christ, and it's our main point here this morning. Look up here on the screen, and that is that God has designed his followers to introduce others to Jesus Christ. It's true that if you're a believer here today, if you have come to faith in Jesus Christ, then God has a purpose for your life. He's got many purposes, not the least of which he has now saved you and designed you to introduce others to Jesus Christ, to make an introduction, to share the hope and joy that you have now found, and get this to do so with evident clarity. Kind of the opposite of what we saw in our video there. He wants you and I to be able to give clear directions to those in our sphere of influence on how they can find Jesus Christ as well. And the cool thing is that you're going to see today is that sharing the gospel with people is about as easy as telling somebody how to get to Scottsdale Fashion Square or whatever that mall's name is. It's just as easy. Take a left on Scottsdale Road, go down about six or seven miles, it's down on the right. But yet, like we have saw in that video, we tend to mess up the directions, and we're here today to try to add clarity to it. And so check this out. After Jesus spent three years of public ministry on this earth, telling people about the kingdom of God, and then going to a cross so that we might be forgiven of our sin, and then rising on the third day, after he had done all that, he was about ready to ascend into heaven And he shared some parting words with his followers and by extension us. And so look up here on the screen or turn to your Bible to Acts chapter 1 verse 8. These are the very last words of Jesus on this earth, which would mean they just might be very important words. Acts chapter 1 verse 8, this is what he says. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Here it is. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So focus on that phrase, you will be my witnesses. He's saying that to his original followers and by extension to anybody whose life has been changed by Jesus himself. And what's fascinating is that when you study that word witness, it was written 2,000 years ago here in the Bible in the original Greek language, what we know is that that word back then pretty much means what it means today. That back then it was a judicial term that was basically used in a court of law, just like it would today. And I love how one author points it out. He says, a witness is different from a lawyer. A witness is different from a lawyer. And so think about what you know of a courtroom context. A witness is to report on what he or she has seen. A lawyer is the one who argues the case, tries to prove the truth, presses for a verdict. That's the lawyer's job. 
And isn't it interesting that Jesus leaves the lawyer work up to the Holy Spirit and He says to you and me that we're to be witnesses. That we're simply to report on what we have seen and experienced in our faith and trust in Christ to testify to what we know to be true and what we've experienced as honestly as we can in and through our faith in Christ. And so that's our mission now as a follower of Jesus, to witness to, to testify, to report what we have experienced in following Him and coming to Him. And so once you and I get this idea and kind of experience the pressure being off a little bit, that the Holy Spirit is the one to convict, the Holy Spirit is the one to convince, the Holy Spirit is the lawyer, and that you and I, our job, are to be witnesses, the only question left to ask is what are we witnesses of? In other words, what is it that we're to testify about as a witness for Christ? And folks, the answer is a wonderfully freeing mixture of what I call transcendent and personal truth. Don't let that throw you. Simply transcendent truth, meaning truth on high, and then personal truth, meaning the truth that you have now in you. As those two things come together, the truth of who God is, as you now have incorporated it into your life, that's what you're to be a witness of. Or to put it in very clear terms, look up here on the screen, you are to be a witness of his story as it has intersected with your story. That's it. That's what God wants from you as far as sharing your faith with those around you. To be crystal clear on what his story is, we're going to talk about that in just a minute here, but then to infuse it with your own experiences with your own journey, and tell people also how your story has now, or his story, has become a great part of your story. And so I love how Colossians 1 verse 27 kind of hints to this. It says, to them, meaning believers in Jesus, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles, meaning unbelievers, are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. I love that phrase, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That's the gospel. God, as he has invaded your life, is Christ in you. And whenever you are a witness to anybody around you of what God has done in your life, he just wants both parts of it to come out. Christ in you, his story intersecting with your story. And so please see, you are saved for a purpose to introduce others to Christ by telling his story, especially as it has now become a part of your story. Now, with this understanding, here's what you and I need to wrestle with. And that is that it's interesting to note that when it comes to telling his story as it relates to your story, in the 21st century, coming out of the 20th century, we have developed in our modern world literally dozens, if not hundreds, of methods on trying to give people clear directions here. I mean, one of the blessings, and I would argue banes, of living in the western part of the world, just coming out of Christendom, is that we now have so many methods on how to share Jesus, his story, and share our testimony, our story with others, that if you pay attention to all of them, eventually your head's going to start swimming and you're going to get lost in all of the complexity. And I think that's what has happened is that we've developed so many methods today and gimmicks on how to share a faith that the average believer today is like going, what? And what used to be a simple, simple message, albeit very profound, 
And what used to be a very clear message is now getting lost in all of the mediums. What am I talking about? I want you to think of all the methods that we have today for sharing our faith. We got tracks, T-R-A-C-T-S, tracks, little booklets that we use and leave at gas stations or restaurants or put in Halloween baskets. We got the four spiritual laws, your most important relationship, and hundreds of tracks that we use to tell others about Jesus. We got entire courses on, on how to share your faith from the Bible. I've taken courses over the years on one verse evangelism, the Roman road, share your faith without fear. The newest one being the way of the master, which helps you share your faith through the Ten Commandments. But we take people to hear sermons, or we bombard them with CDs of the latest sermon that you heard that you think was a great way of presenting the gospel. We have the testimony approach. Simply put, you take your friend out for a 45-50 minute dinner and unload them your entire story in all of its lurid details. Uh, We even have the wordless book today. We got methodologies on how to share our faith with kids that don't use words. It's like a little colored bracelet in the wordless book that we use in VBS that use colors like red and white and black and green and we use that to share the core of the gospel with our kids Add to this all the media that we have today, videos, CDs, DVDs, print media, internet, TV, and before you know it, the majority of us are awfully confused amidst all of these methods and mediums on what the gospel message really is. I'm telling you folks, it's confusion amidst complexity with all the wonderful and creative ways we've developed to share our faith, and many of them are wonderful and creative ways, I sometimes wonder if we're being all that clear. I sometimes wonder if the message is really getting across. Because when I talk to the average lost person today who's living in the midst of a country that has 350,000 churches in it, all trying to tell people about Jesus, and I say, do you get it? Do you get what the gospel message is? They kind of scratch their head, give me that infamous deer in the headlights look, and I can tell you they're not getting it. And so one of the things I do when I share my faith with people, and we're going to just transition this in just a minute here, is that many times I'll just say to them, I'm going to share it with you in such a way that even if you're not ready to submit to Christ, you can at least explain it back to me. That you can at least tell me what the gospel is so that at least from this point on, we're clear as to what God has done for you and what he wants for you. And because of all of this confusion amidst complexity, one of the things that I've done over the years is I've developed two very simple methods. I mean, this is not going to be anything profound. They're simple methods on how I can share my faith, his story, as it intersects with my story. I have a few handles that I'm going to share with you right now on how I can clearly share his story with those around me as well as share my story with those around me and even bring the two together and get this. This methodology is so simple that I can do it while driving down the road with someone at a dinner table in my office while working out at the food aisle at the store, really anywhere, no matter how much time I have, whether I have three minutes or 30 minutes, and I can do this very naturally. I can do this without DVDs, CDs, tracks, colored bracelets, pamphlets, books, or even an open Bible. I mean, think about Jesus' life, folks. Jesus didn't walk around Palestine with any of that stuff. Jesus walked around Palestine in a robe and himself. And as he did that, he shared with people very relationally about the kingdom of God and how they could know God. 
in a personal and intimate way. And that's the task that you and I have today. And so I'm not dissing all these other mediums that we have. If they're helpful for you, go for it. I'm just going to try to bring us together to its least common denominator today and make sure that we're all being clear. So three things quickly in our time remaining here this morning. I want to share with you how to tell, how to tell his story. I call it four-word evangelism. And then I want to share with you how to tell your story, the before and the after. And then we're going to spend a few minutes putting it all together in this chair right here. So first, how to tell his story. And if you can remember four words, and I mean just four words, that you now have a very clear guide concerning how to give very clear direction to another on how to have a relationship with Almighty God. And those four words, we'll put up here on the screen for you right now so you can write them down, are God, separation, Christ, and you. I know I say this often, but if you don't remember anything about today's message, just latch on to this. God, separation, Christ, and you. If you can remember those four words, you have absolute clarity on what the gospel is and how to communicate it to a loved one or a friend or a co-worker or a neighbor around you. And so let me walk you through these. I'm going to give you a Bible passage for each one as a handle for you to grab onto. First, we obviously begin in talking to people about God with God. And there's three things I like to tell people about God. One, that he exists. Two, that he made you. And three, that he loves you. If I can get those three things across and talking to somebody about God, we're off to the races. We've gotten a good start under our belt. The fact that he exists, that he is, that there's only one of him. There is God, and you are not him. The fact that he made you, that he has created you in his image, and that he loves you with an everlasting love. And he longs to be in personal, intimate, and eternal relationship with you. It's the first thing that I communicate about God. And if you want a passage for this, here's your best friend, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. It simply says, God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Could it be more clear? God, who's rich in mercy and has great love with which he loved us. If you're familiar with sharing your faith at all, you know that the, one of the most famous little booklets on sharing your faith is the Four Spiritual Laws. And law number one simply says this, God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. And though in my circles that became rather a trite way of saying it, an almost overused word of saying it, you know what's fascinating is that when Dr. Bill Bright, who was the leader of Campus Crusade for Christ for years on end, originally penned those words, that God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life, the stories were told that every time that man said that to somebody, he, he said it with such passion and conviction that it just emanated from the core of his being. Dan Hayes tells a story that after the Ten Commandments movie came out years ago, Dr. Bright was at an a, a opening celebration of that movie, and Charlton Heston was there. And Dr. Bright, who's about as tall as me, walks up to Heston, who's a lot taller, and he looks up and he says, I just got to tell you, God loves you and offers a wonderful plan for your life. And that's really the way we start today, too, is just letting people know that God is out there and he's not silent, 
that He does love you and that He does have a journey that He has planned for your life. But it all begins with God. Now, one of the things that I quickly move to at this point is that obviously there's something wrong, right? Because everybody doesn't come out of the womb with their hands raised in praise saying, I can't wait to walk with God. That out of the womb, there seems to be something wrong, some type of disconnect between us and God on a spiritual level. And they're spot on if they feel that. And that leads us to the second word, and that's separation. Simply put, I share with people that the Bible makes it really clear that all humanity has experienced a universal separation from God. Picture one big runaway child, and the results of this separation are eternal alienation if something is not done to correct this. And the Bible verse that I love to use here is in not a very often used Bible verse. In fact, it'll be brand new to some of you here today, but it really is a, is a great companion to this truth. It's Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. Uh, listen to what it says. It says, but your iniquities have made a separation, there's that word, a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Focus on that first part there. Your iniquities have made a separation between you and God. And though this passage is obviously written in the context of Israel, certainly I would argue that this is indicative of the entire human experience, that our sins, those things which we know are wrong and hurtful to those around us and to our kids and our spouse and people at work, our sins, and we all got them, God says are also hurtful to Him and separate us from Him. And so I share with people, kind of take the edge off this, because I know that you can hear a pin drop when you start talking about this issue of sin and separation. I simply share with them that we all have been infected by sin. Some of us yell too much. Some of us drink too much. Some of us spend too much. Some of us cheat. Some of us lie. Some of us hate. Some of us manipulate. I mean, there's lots of outward manifestations of sin, but one of the cool things the Bible says is that no matter what the outward manifestation, the heart is the same. <laughs> You're all struggling with a heart issue. You all have fallen short of God's glory, of His ways, and as the Bible says, you've all gone your own way. And the simple point is, is that these things separate us from God. And hence, like a runaway child, we're not in intimate and abiding relationship with him anymore. That's the problem. That God has made us. He has loved us. We all matter to him. But we've also strayed and gone our own way. And now there's a separation between us and God. And you know what blows me away about this second word here? Is that Christians are always so shy to talk about this idea of sin and separation when the average lost person today already gets this and agrees with you on this. That just blows me away. I mean, studies have been shown that the average unchurched lost person today who might be seeking spiritual things, of all the things that they're going to agree with you on, are going to agree that this world is a mess and that in many ways we ourselves are to blame. That's like a big duh to a lost and seeking world. They understand that point. I'll never forget when I was interning at the famous Willow Creek Community Church back in 1989, when I was just getting done with my graduate work in Chicago, I took one of my buddies to Willow Creek because he was seeking God and seemed interested in spiritual things, even though he was digging his heels in on a spiritual level. 
And Bill Hybels is a great communicator of the gospel, and so I thought, this is golden. I'm going to take him to hear Hybels. And sure enough, that day, Hybels shared the gospel with evident clarity, lots of passion, very winsome. And as we were driving out of the parking lot that day at Willow Creek, I said to my buddy, I said, so what did you think? And he said, well, it's going to kind of disappoint you, but I'm not ready to sign on the dotted line. I mean, I'm not, not ready to, to really come to Christ yet. He said, but I will grant you this, Jamie, and I'll never forget what he said. I'll grant you this. He said, you and I define the problem identically. And that is that the problem is that we live in a fallen and sinful world that has made a mess of things, and the vast majority of the ills that ail us go back to the human heart. I thought, whoa, dude, we're halfway there together. I thought, this is great. I said, because now what I'd like to know from you, and this is for another sermon, but I said, what I'd like to know from you is how a naturalistic worldview explains that. In other words, how does your naturalistic world explain where that came from, let alone what we're to do about it? Because I said, the the Christian worldview has an answer to that. And that propelled he and I into deeper discussion. And so he wasn't shy at all to talk about separation, even sin. I think a lost world gets this. They understand. They feel it. They know it in their bones. And so you got God. You got separation. And yet the wonderful, amazing thing is, and you and I all know this here today, is that God did not leave us in this state of separation from him. He did something about it. And so this is the third word that I use, and it's the word Christ, Jesus Christ. In other words, something had to be done about this separation from the God who loves us, and God did do something. He came to this earth 2,000 years ago in the man Jesus Christ. He lived a sinless life among us. He went to the cross to die for our sins, paying the penalty that we should have paid because we're the ones who messed up. He paid for us in order to bring us to God. And because God gave Christ, now every human being has a chance to come home to God in personal relationship through coming home through Jesus Christ. So so Romans 6.23 is your verse here. It says, for the wages of sin is death, that's that separation thing, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift is eternal life rather than separation in Christ Jesus. Jesus is the key to you and I knowing God. And this answers, by the way, the age-old question that many even ask today in our postmodern, post-Christian world And that is why Jesus. You ever been asked that question? Like, why Jesus, Jamie? I mean, if you just wouldn't bring Jesus into it, it wouldn't muddy the waters. I mean, if we could all just be liberal believers in God, then my gosh, we could bring together the five world religions and all of their offshoots, and 99% of the people agree with that, and we could be one global village. Why do you have to mess it up by bringing Jesus into it? And I love it when I get asked that question, because I basically say, well, don't blame me blame God. I I mean, I didn't make this stuff up. I'm not the one who revealed myself in history. God did. God is the one who decided to come 2,000 years ago to this planet in the man Jesus Christ, live a sinless life among us, go to the cross so that we might be forgiven for our sins, and then say to all of humanity, one of the most inclusive statements ever made to humankind, 
that anybody that would come to him now through his son Jesus can know him eternally. That's why Jesus, I mean, Jesus himself said this. Look up here on the screen. He said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And then he goes on to say, this isn't on the screen, but he says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father. From now on, you do know him because you have seen me. I mean, the heart of the gospel, folks, is simply the fact that you and I are separated from God, and Jesus Christ is the one who brings us back. So you got God, you got separation, you got Christ, and yet it doesn't stop there. Because when you think about it, everything that we've talked about up to this point for the last 15 minutes are simply more or head knowledge things. God is concerned about a fourth step, a fourth word that involves a response, a movement on an individual's part, and it has everything to do with you. It has everything to do with the individual. So it's not just enough to know that God loves you. It's not just enough to know that you're separated. It's not even just enough to know that Jesus Christ died on a cross for your sins. You can know all that by the time you're four years old in Sunday school. No, what God says is that he wants an individual response from each person who realizes these truths, a personal response. And this is where Christians mess it up royally, but I'm going to set the record straight here today. And that is that the response that God wants is to believe and to receive. Say it with me. To believe and receive. One more time. To believe and to receive. How do we know that's true? John 1 verse 12. Couldn't be more clear. He's talking about Jesus and he says, But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So how does somebody become a Christian? They believe. They take those first three things, God, separation, and Christ, and they say, oh, it makes sense. I get it. That God loves me. He exists. He made me. I'm separated him because of my sin. I sure feel that. I've experienced that. But in Jesus Christ, he now brings me back through his death on a cross, taking my place And people get to the point of saying, I believe that, and then even further, saying, and I receive Jesus Christ into my life as Lord and Savior. I become a follower of him. I receive that personally in my heart and mind and in my life. That's the step that God wants us to take. That's the response that he calls for. And so when I'm sharing my faith with people, I clearly call people, not obnoxiously, but, but, but with integrity to make a decision, to make a choice if they're ready, to believe in and to receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Uh, folks, this is the gospel in a nutshell. Four simple words. God, separation, Christ, and you. And again, the beauty of this is that I can share this in three minutes or 30 minutes. I took about 20 minutes here because I'm a preacher. But I can do it much quicker than that when asked to. And so this is the same message using these same handles that I used to share the gospel with our Muslim tour guide when I was in Turkey uh, a few months ago. It's the same handles that I used when jogging with my best friend Bill back in Chagrin Falls, Ohio a few years back. He's my best friend from third grade and we were talking about the gospels. And I shared God, separation, Christ, and you. I've used this to share the gospel with waiters and waitresses in a restaurant, my neighbor over the fence, in email interchanges or a Facebook post. 
I mean, any time I can, whether I have as little as three minutes or as many as 30, I can share the gospel. I can tell somebody how to get the Fashion Square Mall without messing it up. I can tell somebody how to take a left on Scottsdale, go about six or seven miles, and it's on your right. God, separation, Christ, and you. Again, I love the story that Bill Hybels told along this, this line. It's a great story. He said that he was in the Bahamas, and he was visiting. He had been invited there by one of his church members to enjoy a week away on their yacht. That's a nice thing to do, don't you think, to invite your pastor to the Bahamas to enjoy a week away on your yacht? Hint, hint. And, uh, and, and, and so Bill Hybels was there, and he's enjoying with his wife Lynn this wonderful uh, week away on this yacht. And at one point, I guess this is kind of like the yachting community, they, they meet up with each other, and you make new friends, and then you have dinner together on somebody else's yacht. And so Hybels and his host and met with another couple, and they were doing this, and they had a wonderful dinner out. And as they were exiting that night, they, Bill had already shared that he was a pastor. As they were exiting that night, getting ready to go back to their yacht, uh, picture Bill walking down the, the ladder, climbing down the ladder, and he was on the very first rung. And the gal who owned the yacht that they were on looked at Bill, and she said, Why do you do what you do anyways? She said, you seem so incredibly normal, and I've never met a pastor who seemed normal. What is it that makes you tick? And Bill says, there I was on the first rung of the ladder, and I had three minutes. I had three minutes to give her an intelligent answer as to what the gospel is. And what do you think he shared? He shared God, separation, Christ, and you. show you how to do that in three minutes or less in just a second here. And he also did it in such a way that he intertwined, and this is the second thing we need to very briefly talk about, his story, I'm sorry, yeah, his particular story with God's story. And so that's the second thing that you and I need to be able to do, to not just understand his story, but then to have enough of an understanding of our own experience to intertwine it with the gospel. What do I mean by that? Give me a click here, guys. Your story, if you're a Christian today, really has three components to it, unless you realized it. And that is that you have a before Christ, you have an event where you came to Christ, and then you have your life after Christ. Or or to put it more simply, B.C. cross A.D. That's your conversion story. Even if you were raised in a Christian home and accepted Christ at Awana when you were six, I'm telling you, you have a testimony. You are a witness to what God has done in your life. And so I challenge people all the time just to think about what it was like for you Or if you were raised in a Christian home and you accepted Christ when you were six, what it was like for those that you've observed around you of what life was like before Christ. This is the God and separation part of his story. The alienation, the guilt, the lack of direction, the hopelessness. I mean, I love talking to people about my faith because I'm telling you, before I knew Christ, I mean, on a spiritual level, I had no hope. I had a lot of joy in my life because hedonism can bring fleeting joy. But, but, but I had no hope. I'd go to bed at night wondering what it's all about and, and is there an afterlife? And if so, I don't know anything about it. And I don't even know where I'm going because there's evil inside of me. And I, I, I just talk about a lot of my life before Christ. And then the second part of your story is the cross. When you became a Christian, what was that like for you? Again, some of you were young kids when you accepted Christ. Some of you, like me, were older adults. It doesn't matter. 
What was your conversion story about? What is it that you did, hint, hint, believe and receive, in order to become a Christian? And what was that like for you? And then the third thing that we share is the AD. What's your life been like since? How has God changed you? How have you changed? As you guys have heard me say quite often, and it's not too much of a stretch to say this, my life went from black and white to technicolor on a spiritual level. Like I knew nothing about God before I came to Christ. I was spiritually clueless. Now, every day is a journey. Not always easy, but every day is a journey as I now walk with my Maker and my Redeemer. I love talking about that. And as you put your story in this type of timeline and then intertwine it with His story, it's nothing but a winsome thing, a usable thing in the hands of God. So here's how this works. The year was 1981. Uh, my family that winter was out skiing in Park City, Utah, one of our two big ski trips we took when I was in high school. And as a young high school kid who knew nothing about spiritual things because I wasn't raised in a Christian home, we hardly ever went to church, when we visited the Mormon tabernacle because my dad wanted us to get cultural experiences, like young high school kid, I signed my name at the Mormon tabernacle. When we got back to Cleveland that winter in 1981, about two weeks later, there was a knock at the door one night. I remember specifically, I was watching Hogan's Heroes, remember that show? And there was a knock at the door, and there were these two well-dressed missionaries from the Mormon church. And my dad's a libertarian, which means he believes strongly in freedom and principles, and so he raised his kids, you know, to basically have a tremendous amount of freedom. And these guys said, as Jamie here, and I can clearly remember going, no because I knew what they wanted. And uh, my dad said, sure, come on in and, and just talk to your son about God. And so they stayed and talked to me about spiritual things. I wasn't really interested in Mormonism. And so that did create a spiritual thirst in me, though, at the age of 17, not being raised in a Christian church. So I sought out a guy on my campus at high school named Joe, who was, seemed to be a normal guy. And he was at the University of Michigan. He was a track star, went into sports journalism at Baldwin Walls College, and now was on my little high school campus talking to people about spiritual things. And he seemed trustworthy. So I approached Joe, and for three months we spent a lot of time together just talking about Christianity, and I had all these tough questions like, can the Bible really be trusted? And it's kind of a narrow thing, don't you think? And what about those who have never heard? I had all these questions. And he patiently answered a lot of them. And one night, about three months later, March 11th, 1981, to be specific, we were in Joe's little apartment, and uh, we were sitting there after having a burger and fries, and he sat in the chair, and he basically said, Jamie, I, I just got to just unload for a few minutes some things that you need to hear that might help put all of this together. He, he said, I don't have the answer to all of your questions, but I know this, God exists he is there and he is not silent. And I see him working in your life. And I want you to know that he loves you and would love to journey with you for the rest of your life. In other words, up to this point, Jamie, you've not had an intimate relationship with God, though you've dabbled at the corners. But I think God is knocking at the door of your heart and he's ready for you to come home permanently to him. But you got a problem you're separated from him and you know it and you feel it. You're separated from your parents and your rebellion right now and you've made a mess of your life through some other things that you're doing in your life that you know aren't right. And, and all of that is simply indicative of the fact that the Bible says you got sin in your heart and that sin separates you from God. 
And yet God loves you so much that he wanted to do something about that sin. At this point, Joe inserted a lot of his story. He'd say, you know, I grew up in Detroit, and just like you here in Chagrin, and I had a wonderful upbringing, good parents and all of that, and I went to the U of M, and I succeeded greatly. I became a track star at the University of Michigan and then graduated, worked for Baldwin-Wallace in sports journalism. But i got to tell you, all of that success, all of the world's trappings still left me empty. They left me feeling so separated from God, it just didn't deliver like I thought it would. And I don't think it's delivering for you as well. Your sin is still a problem, and you've got to do something about that. But this is where Jesus comes in. Because Jesus Christ is the one whom God sent to bring you to himself. He's the one whom God sent to be in your place on that cross so that you might be forgiven of all of your sin, have a new lease on life, so that you might come home to God. But Jamie, you can't stop there. You need to believe and receive. You need to stop messing around spiritually, stop dangling at the corners, and you need to ask yourself, am I ready to believe and trust in Christ? Because though all your problems will not go away, I promise you, if you make a decision to believe in Christ, your life will never be the same again on a spiritual level. The Bible says that when we come home to God, we come home permanently. We come home in such a way that he will never let us go, but you've got to come to him through his son, Jesus Christ. Are you ready to believe and receive? For lots of reasons, folks, that I would to this day only chalk up to God, because I knew nothing about the Bible back then. I knew nothing about spiritual life, and I many ways, was still struggling with a lot of issues in my life. But that night, March 11, 1981, I knew I was ready to receive Christ. And with Joe sharing me the gospel there in three minutes or less, as I just did here, I said, I'm ready. I'm ready to receive Christ. And he and I knelt there, and we prayed. There's many ways to receive Christ. Sometimes you pray, sometimes you walk an aisle, sometimes it's just between you and God and the quietness of your own thoughts because it's a heart issue. But Joe and I prayed, and there were no fireworks, there was no fanfare. I drove home that night. But the next morning when I woke up, I I knew that something was different. I I knew that somehow God had begun a change in my life. And though there were lots of things I still struggled with, and Joe hung in there with me as I worked through a lot of those throughout high school and college, I, I knew that I had come home. And I knew I'd entered into a relationship with him that, that now, again, would take me from black and white to technicolor. And I knew my life would change. And sure enough, it did. But I'm so thankful for Joe that, that he left Baldwin-Wallace in a career in sports journalism to spend time with rebellious high school kids in an upper-middle-class environment and, and lead them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that he had learned how to share the gospel and give direction in a very clear way that I could get it and respond. And the cool thing is, is that you can do that too. You as well, if you've come to Christ, have the ability to do this. But we have a new pastor of evangelism here at our church that we've hired this year. We're really serious about trying to develop a stronger evangelism culture within our church. We believe that God has caught our future as God has called us to. His name's Brian McAnally. You might have met him a few weeks ago. He did the announcements here when Daryl was preaching. 
And Brian has written books on evangelism, books on apologetics. He has an amazing story himself, how he came to faith in Christ. And next Sunday, he's going to do a one-shot deal, just a one-hour seminar during all three services that I invite you to go to. You'll see the room there. It's uh, E203 on just how to share your faith. He's going to go a little bit more detail than we did today to give you a little bit more confidence, a few more tools. And I would encourage you that if God is tugging on your heart with anything here today, to think about going to that class. We're going to offer other resources in the future, but that might be a good start for you to capitalize on what we've talked about here today. Now, obviously, today was mainly designed for those of you who are believers to give you more confidence and some tools on how to share a verbal witness with those around you. And hopefully, we've done that here today. But we would be completely remiss if we ended this service without doing one last thing. And do you know what that is? That is giving some of you a chance today to receive Christ into your life as well. One of the cool things I love about Scottsdale Bible Church is that we're the kind of church that's open to anybody and everybody. And so we have plenty of folks here on a week-in and week-out level that are seeking God at their own pace, and we're really comfortable with that. But on a regular basis, we kind of want to check in with you and take your temperature and ask if you're not ready to receive Christ into your life like I did 30 years ago and like so many of us have. And so if today you're ready to receive Christ, if it makes sense to you, if he makes sense to you and you want to invite him to take control of your life and to be your Lord and Savior, I want to pray with you right now. And so let's all bow together right now. And uh, for those who are ready to receive Christ, I want to pray with you, and you all just follow along with me. Uh, God, we thank you that in the midst of a lot of complexity in our world, you come along, and with obvious clarity, you get to the heart of things and share with us what is true and what you want from us. And Lord, there are some of us here this morning that are ready to receive Christ into our lives, and so we pray, Lord, very similar to this. We thank you, God, that you love us, that you made us, and that you want to know us. And we thank you that you want eternity to matter as we spend it with you. But Lord, we realize that our sin has made a mess of things. We all got it. We all have it. And that, Father, it has created a separation, a deep chasm between us and you. And Lord, not leaving us there, we also recognize that you have sent us Jesus Christ, rooted in history, it's a fact, who died on a wooden cross for our sins in our place that we might be forgiven and brought to you. And so, Lord, right now where we sit, there's some of us who are ready to receive Jesus Christ into our lives. We believe and we receive right where we are. And, Lord, we thank you for the gift of God that is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. And, Father, for those who have believed and received this morning, we pray that you might give them an initial burst of assurance that can only come from you, not to overstate it at all, Lord, because it's hard to. We pray that you would bring home to them that they have crossed over from death to life, to not knowing you, to knowing you. And, Lord, may this be the day that they mark as their spiritual birthday and the day that they'll remember for the rest of their lives. God, for the rest of us, may you give us just a little bit of boldness. God, may you with, give us just a little bit of a push to walk across the room as we talked about next week. And now with this week, may we be clear. May we never forget God's separation, Christ in you, B.C., cross, and A.D., as we share our faith with those around us. Give us opportunities, and may we not shy away. God, thank you for grace. Thank you that you designed grace to not just infest our lives, but now to be passed on to others. 
And we look forward to what you're going to do in our lives as a result. And we pray these things only and always in Jesus' holy and his precious name. And all of us say together, amen. Hey, if you prayed to receive Christ here today, we'd love to know about it. we got prayer counselors and staff down here front after the service. So please feel free to come down and share that with us. Otherwise, God bless you and have a great day. You.